It is week two of the college football season, and it is the biggest week in Arkansas football since at least 2007, since pre-Chad Morris era, guys. This is a big deal. Texas is in town. I mean, wh- when have you seen the atmosphere in Fayetteville like this it, since at least Brett Bielema? And I, even with Brett Bielema, I don't know if there was this much excitement around a single game. Hutch, can you remember the last game that there was this much hype and excitement around? I mean, you have to to think back. I mean, the last time they had a sellout was 2017. That was a TCU game. But even that game, I didn't feel like there was this much excitement and hype just because of the way that the 2016 season ended. Uh, you know, before that, I mean, maybe maybe uh, whenever Texas A&M came to town and I believe 2013 or 2012, uh, uh, Johnny Manziel came to town. That was a, a great atmosphere. You know, before that, probably 2010, the Alabama game, that's probably the, the best atmosphere I've ever experienced firsthand. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we're, it's, it's been a while <laughs> since, uh, since we've had a game this, this hyped. Yeah, I remember that Johnny Manziel game when he came to town. Um, I wasn't able to go to the 2010 Alabama game. So I always tell people that the loudest I've ever heard Razorback Stadium was when Dietrich Wise sacked Johnny Manziel, and then he got up and did his little dance. That That's the loudest I've ever heard it. But, you know, everybody always says it's the Ronnie Wingo wheel route. And, you know, I've seen videos and watched it and stuff. But um, it, I think – I mean, do you think that we could have a new loudest moment in Donald W. Reynolds' Razorback history this weekend? I mean, it's certainly possible because I, th- I think we're going to see the attendance record go down. Uh, the attendance record right now is that 2010 Alabama game, uh, 76-808. Uh, this game's already a sellout, uh, and this is the first sellout since they've expanded the stadium uh, with the, uh, uh, the north end zone uh, when the capacity reached 76,000. So it sounds like there's going to be 76,000 plus standing room only. Uh, they always find a way to jam-pack as many people in there as they can. Uh, so if there's a big moment, it's going to get loud. And, and plus, it's a night game. So everyone has all day to kind of get, uh, you know, build up some liquid courage, you know. And so it's, it's going to be it's going to be a great atmosphere. I'm, it's, it's what college football is all about. I, I'm so excited. Yeah, those capacity numbers on stadiums are never accurate. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention, but Cowboys Stadium, I think, has capacity at 80,000 or something and their record capacity or attendance is always like 110,000. So um, those standing room only tickets go a long way. So we'll see where it ends up being this Saturday, but before we get to Texas, before we recap rice and then Andrew Hutchinson later is going to talk with Jason Sukamel of orangebloods.com. We got to hit some news. Um, Unfortunate news out of practice on Wednesday Dorian Gerald suffers a broken leg, and, man, that is just – oh, you hate it for the guy. He just keeps – it just keeps happening to Dorian Gerald, man. But now Arkansas has to figure out what they're going to do, Hutch. Yeah, I mean, to say Dorian Gerald is snake bit would be an understatement. I mean, last two years he's gotten hurt in the first game. A couple of years ago it was that weird strained artery uh, thing that was just a bizarre injury that kept him out the rest of the year. Last year – uh, it only kept him out of a few games. He's able to return, but he was never truly the Dorian Gerald that we expected. And coming into this year, he was talking about, hey, hey I'm finally healthy. I'm ready to go. Uh, I made a comment to a, a Texas reporter uh, yes, uh, on Wednesday 
uh, and said, hey, this guy is, you know, pretty good. And he made it through the first game healthy. So that's a good sign. And then lo and behold, the next day we find out that, that he goes down. And, you know, they luckily they do seem to have some depth along the defensive line this year. Uh, it's already being tested. You know, John Ridgeway missed the first game. Uh, now you, you see Dorian Gerald probably going to be out the rest of the season. Uh, probably Zach Williams is going to be asked to step into that starting role. Uh, he's, he started some, he's played a lot so that he has experience. Uh, and I'm also wondering how they're going to fill up, you know, who, who kind of that wasn't expected to have a big role gets moved up. I mean, is it a Mateo Soli who has starting experience uh, under his belt? Uh, he, he played well in very limited snaps against Rice. So uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see how the defensive line rotation shakes out uh, now that you know Dorian Gerald's out yeah and that's something that I wanted to bring Alex Trader in on this he's a staff writer over at hogbeat.com Alex are there any names I mean Hutch just mentioned a, a couple but who do you really see filling in that Dorian Gerald role now that we're not going to have him for the rest of the year yeah I, I think Hutch said it best. I, I think Zach Williams is likely going to be coming in and, and hopefully making an impact. He has some experience um, with Barry Odom uh, already over last year. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a test. John Ridgeway coming in, he, him, him coming back is going to be huge. I, I'm pretty sure that's what we're talking about next, but coming off of that appendectomy last week, um, Filling that that hole in the middle only helps the edge rushers. It helps shore up a little bit of that defensive line. Uh, so not having two holes uh, or, or holes across two-thirds of the line, I think, is going to make a big impact uh, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so you just mentioned that as well. <clears throat> John Ridgeway's back at practice. Traylon Burks was at practice last week, not all week, but he's been practicing since Monday knocking off that rust that he had last week. You could see it on the field. Sam Pittman said you could see it. He said he wasn't – he didn't play to his full potential, and we all know Traylon Burks didn't play to his full potential. So it's good to have those two guys back at practice. You've been hearing that Ridgeway is a difference maker, and I think Arkansas is going to need a difference maker on that line this weekend against Texas. So, Hutch, how great is it to have another week with Traylon Burks in practice? He's supposed to be 100% this weekend and then have John Ridgeway back as well. Yeah, I mean, Traylon Burks is, is a special guy. I mean, I, I keep referring to him as a, a generational talent. Uh, we don't see too many of these guys come through Arkansas, especially in-state guys like him. So to, to get him with a full week of practice under his belt, you know, he had a couple of drops against Rice, very uncharacteristic, uh, five catches, 42 yards, not terrible by any means, but definitely subpar by, by Traylon Burks' standards. So Getting him back and, and hopefully knocking off the rust, as you said, should help. Uh, John Ridgeway is, is going to be massive. I think I think it was Hayden Henry uh, this week referred to him as a monster. Uh, I mean, the guy is 6'6", 320. Uh, he also just looks like a mean dude, uh, which is what you want as a defensive tackle. Uh, so that will help. You know, even you know, even though he's a, a defensive tackle and Dorian Gerald's a defensive end. You know, there's there's enough flexibility on Arkansas's defensive line where maybe you know if you need uh, more people on the outside, maybe a Markel Utsi now has the freedom to go from the inside to the outside uh, because of John Ridgeway being back. But I'm also curious to see how much John Ridgeway actually plays. I mean, the dude's going to be two weeks removed from an appendectomy. I mean, that, that's a, a literal surgery. They cut him open and they took that appendix out. So 
I, mean, I know they got medicines incredible these days, but still two weeks that that's uh, I, I've, I've told some other people that, you know, he's definitely tougher than me because uh, I can't imagine being cut open and then two weeks later playing major college football like he is, especially in the trenches where it's uh, not going to be the most pleasant experience. <laughs> All right. Last little bit of news. Um, and we can talk a little bit about this in our next segment where we recap the rice game, but the targeting penalties, you got to talk about the targeting penalties. They really hurt Arkansas last weekend. Grant Morgan goes out really early. And then of course, bumper pool goes out in the second half, not going to have him for the first half against Texas. And then you saw it all across college football, especially that Ole Miss Louisville game that, I mean, I think all college football fans and reporters and whatever, um, as much as some people want to say, well, don't lead with the crown of your helmet. At some point, you just can't keep calling targeting penalties and ejecting players for the entire game. Can we agree on that? Absolutely. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, that, that Louisville Ole Miss game that you referenced with like four of them in the first half was just, that's ridiculous. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think the rule itself is good because safety in college football is important. Uh, however, maybe they need to adjust the penalty. Uh, maybe they, maybe instead of it being a 15 yard penalty and an automatic ejection, maybe it could be a 20 yard penalty and the guy gets to stay in the game. Or maybe they make it like a, like a soccer rule where there's a yellow card and a red card where you do it twice, you're done. Or if it's just egregious or something like that on your first one, you get tossed, uh, I just it's just so weird and to have the the carryover you know bumper pool being suspended for the first half of Texas that sucks it was even crazier last week against Rice Hayden Henry had to be suspended for the first half because of his targeting penalty in the second half against Alabama that carried over for an entire offseason it's just it's just crazy I think the rule needs to be adjusted <clears throat> not just fans <clears throat> and uh, reporters and things like that say that, but I mean, the players and, and Sam Pittman coaches have said that as well. Yeah. It's the worst written rule in all of sports in my eyes. You you're out there. These kids are out there just playing football, trying to do their job. Um, and a lot of these targeting penalties we'll see, you'll see the head hunting ones every now and then, but the ones that happen the vast majority of the time, are a defender going in for a tackle and the offensive player naturally bracing down for a tackle. If there's any type of helmet to helmet contact there, or even just contact to the helmet, it's an automatic ejection. I think like Hutch said, if you want to translate that over to basketball, that'd be kind of a flagrant system, but other sports seem to have it figured out. So there's no reason that the NCAA can't come in and put together something that works for these players to actually help prevent the penalties. Cause right now we're seeing them way too much. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk the rice game. We're going to give our thoughts, our opinions, what we saw out there. And uh, then up later on, we're going to get to Texas. I know that's what everybody wants to hear, but we got to get through rice first. So just bear with us. Back here on the Hogbeat Hour, talking rice this time. I'm your host, Mason Choate. We got Andrew Hutchinson, managing editor from Hogbeat.com, and then Alex Trader, the man, the myth, the legend, covering recruiting, covering Arkansas football. He's doing a great job as well. So, um, guys, we got to talk about this rice game. Everybody knows how the first half went. Uh, it was not good. You thought it was another North Texas, Western Kentucky situation, which – I, I'm going to be for real. I thought it was going to happen again, and I was really disappointed. Um, but what they ended up doing was winning the game they were supposed to win, 
And you hear Sam Pittman say after the game, he's not going to apologize for the way they won. So that's awesome. That's awesome. You didn't just hear, uh, you know, I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, we'll get back in there on uh, Monday and we'll uh, figure it out. If you guys can just figure out who I'm impersonating there. Uh, so <laughs> rough first half, Hutch, what, what were you thinking there in the first half and where do you think things really fell apart for Arkansas? Well, I mean, in the first half, I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, everyone was thinking about the previous times Arkansas played a Conference USA team and it uh, didn't go well uh, with, with Chad Morris at the helm. I've told people this. I fully believe Arkansas would have lost this game by 28 points at least. I mean, we, we saw what happened. I mean, they didn't just lose to North Texas and to Western Kentucky. They got blown out, and th- that was trending that way. You know, Arkansas falls down 17-7. And you're thinking, oh my goodness! But I mean, the offense just—the offense couldn't get it done. I mean, they couldn't move the ball. I mean, three and out on five of their first seven possessions, and you know, included in that's a block punt, uh, some other special teams mistakes. You're just thinking, holy cow, here we go again. But uh, you know, the defense—credit the defense for for keeping them in there. I mean, they were given short field after short field and just continually limited them. Uh, I think the average starting field position for Rice in the first half was the 50-yard line. And that's just – that's unacceptable. That's just terrible. And that's because of the offense, uh, their struggles, the special team struggles. Uh, but the defense really, really hung in there. And, uh, you know, the you know, K.J. Jefferson, you know, everyone cr- criticized him. I mean, he's 4 of 11 in the first half, but there were three drop passes at least, maybe a fourth, uh, depending on who you ask. So uh, – if, if they caught passes better, if they, they just were able to put some drives together, it would have been a whole lot different first half. And you would have seen more than just the, the seven points than they managed uh, there. And I think it was the first quarter whenever they scored on KJ's uh, kind of scramble run for 34 yards. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a rough first half. It was not looking good. I'm glad you gave your uh, your perspective on the receiver's drop passes, Hodge, because we know that you're a veteran wide receiver. You played a ton of wide receiver in high school. So, yeah, I mean, you're our wide receiver expert, man, and we're, we're very happy to have you along there to give your opinion on wide receivers. Well, I don't know if played a lot. I mean, I practiced, and I, I, I watched a lot of football in high school from the sideline. Uh, my, <laughs> my career stats are, you know, one reception for seven yards, so not exactly, you know, Traylon Burks over here. But I do know a drop pass when I see him, and there, there were multiple just – just passes a hit. I mean, especially, and Traylon Burks. I mean, you never see that guy drop passes. <clears throat> I mean, he's got those those massive hands with five XL gloves, and he dropped two of them. And it just you you don't expect to see that. So I, I don't expect that to happen moving forward. So I think that a little bit of that goes into us assessing KJ Jefferson's performance because I heard I don't remember where I heard it, but I. I People were saying that KJ was throwing the ball so hard that the receivers just couldn't catch it. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that. Alex, what, what did you think of, you know, the way KJ Jefferson was throwing the ball and just his overall performance in the game? I, I thought some of the ones that got dropped were catchable. Um, those back-to-back slants in the end zone where it looked like he was throwing it to Connor Vanover on, 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 uh, for the touchdown there. I mean, those are the type of passes that, that I think a lot of people are keying in on. Um, it, it's part of the, the, the problem with being a quarterback, honestly, is you're going to get all the praise if you go out there and you have a great game, 
but you're you're certainly getting all the blame as well if you go out there and the offense doesn't look perfect and it's week one you're you're you struggled in the first half. The second half was not was not bad for the Arkansas Razorbacks. And you got to remember, anyone who isn't a junior or a redshirt sophomore or older hasn't played in front of a full stadium in their college career. It just hasn't happened. There hasn't been that opportunity. So you're going to have those jitters. It, it appears as though they got them out in that second half. You'll, you'll clearly have to see that going into the Texas game. That's a whole different breed. But I think, you know, KJ, it's his first true start, uh, or it's his first time as that true starting guy. So I, I think you kind of have to t- take it with a grain of salt, uh, the performance one way or another. Yeah, so you kind of hit on that second half performance. And unless you're a sports gambler, that 31 nothing run was like just really quiet. It didn't really feel like they were on a 31 and nothing run. Um, but for some people, that Dominique Johnson touchdown was a lifesaver. Um, but Hutch in the second half, the defense really keyed in and delivered when they had to. And then, as Alex just mentioned, you know, the offense started to do what they were supposed to do. So um, I asked you earlier where you saw it fall apart in the first half, but where did you start to see it click in the second half? Yeah, I think they really found out what worked for them on offense. I mean, they started really pounding the rock between the tackles. We saw a little bit of Rocket Sanders, the true freshman, had a really nice uh, drive where he counted for like half the yards on the, the game-tying field goal drive. Uh, we saw K.J. Jefferson connecting on his passes. We saw K.J. Jefferson really getting involved in the run game, some RPOs, and it just – the offense looked smoother. And, I mean, it, that's what – it has to if you're going to score 31 points and a half that's the <clears throat> most points they've scored in the second half uh, of a game since 2003 so it's been a long time since we've seen a second half performance like that uh, and you know I don't know if they're going to be able to do that every half of football I mean they're not going to go out there and average 62 points but they're going to do better than that seven points they managed in the first half I feel like it's going to be somewhere there in the middle uh, the good thing though is, is you got the defense where they were, they were good in the first half. They were good in the second half. I don't know if they're going to be that great and be able to stop all these better teams on the short fields like they did, but they showed me enough that, Hey, this is going to be a salty defense. Maybe the offense doesn't have to do too terribly much for Arkansas to win ball games this year. All right, guys. I think that's enough for rice because we got to have plenty of time to talk this Texas matchup. Up next, Hutch is going to talk to Jason Sukamel from orangebloods.com. That's the rival site for Texas. Uh, it's a great interview. You get a lot of insight on what players are the best players for Texas, what Texas thinks about the rivalry, what Texas fans are saying, because realistically, they're just as excited as the Arkansas fans. It's as crazy as it seems. So it's a great interview, and uh, that's coming up next. And then after that, we're going to talk about Texas ourselves here on the Hogbeat Hour. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Hutchinson. I'm the managing editor of hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site and the Rivals Network, and it is once again time for a Know the Foe Zoom chat. This week, the Razorbacks welcome old Southwest Conference foe Texas to Fayetteville for the first time since 2004. Uh, Jason Sukumel, a writer for orangebloods.com, our our sister site uh, that covers Texas and the Rivals Network, Uh, he was kind enough to join me to give us kind of an insider's perspective on the Longhorns. 
Uh, appreciate you doing this, Jason. How are you? I'm good, Andrew. My pleasure, man. Uh, the good news is we may be doing this annually, I guess, moving forward, right, with Texas moving to the SEC, so uh, we won't be strangers for too long, man. So. Exactly. Looking forward to it, of course. But before then, you know, we got we got some football to play. Uh, yeah, I was wanting to kind of start off kind of more broad uh, and get your general thoughts on kind of how the fan base down in Austin is feeling about Steve Sarkeesian and, and getting his first season under uh, underway. Uh, feeling pretty good after game one. I mean, Texas fans can be finicky, so let's see what happens after game two. But, you know, they played pretty well. Texas did uh, in their opener against a, a pretty good Louisiana team that was ranked coming into that game. Um, I think what Texas fans really appreciated about that game, it was just a pretty clean game. We've seen games under Tom Herman, certainly under Charlie Strong, where there was a lack of organization. It's kind of a running joke down here. Charlie Strong one time somehow elected to kick off on both halves, you know, so uh, Sark seemed to have things, uh, especially for game one, seemed to have, you know, there were obviously a couple penalties and things that they weren't too happy about, but all in all, I think people thought it was a really clean game. Uh, Texas played well. There were a couple of moments, and this is something Texas fans really wanted to see from Sark. There were a couple of moments where they actually audibled at the line of scrimmage. Hudson Card, the quarterback, kind of checked with, with Sark. They saw something, they changed the play up, just based on something they had seen, like literally the play before, and it worked wonderfully. It went for a touchdown. So Texas fans are like, oh, my gosh, we haven't seen that. You know, and it's been a decade probably. As good as Tom Herman was regarded as an offensive coordinator, it never clicked uh, in Austin in terms of adjustments and things like that. So um, all in all, again, it's one week. But yeah, Texas fans feel pretty good. I, I think Sark is really well-liked. And I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Even before last week, the Texas fans really kind of relate – found themselves, I think, relating to Sark. He's, he's kind of different than Tom Herman, a little bit more laid back and um, I don't want to say more personable, but personable, but uh, I don't know, just kind of easy, easier to relate to. I think fans like watching him in the press conferences and maybe a little bit more than they did Tom Herman. Um, yeah, but all in all, off to a good start. But again, hey, I say, let's see what the vibe is after game two up in Arkansas. It may be after the first quarter. If Texas down, is down 10 to nothing after the first quarter, it'll be fire Steve Sarkeesian on our message board so uh yeah we'll see but so far things are pretty good yeah for sure and I mean you, you kind of touched on some of the main takeaways from that first game I mean, it was a 38 to 18 win over as you said a, a really good Louisiana team was there anything in that game that maybe surprised you uh, on either side of the ball or even on special teams anything that that you weren't expecting going in that, that you saw happen you know if I'm being honest Andrew it kind of went about as I expected. I mean, I think Texas played better than I expected. I, I expected it to be a lower scoring game in a closer game. I did not pick Texas to win by 20. I think, I think I had Texas winning the game 27 to 20. So I had a pretty low scoring, close victory. So all in all, I would go back to what I said in my first answer, just the fact that it was a clean game from top to bottom on both sides of the ball. And the other thing that I would guess was a little surprising to me was the play of Hudson Card, the, the freshman quarterback in his first start. I thought Hudson Card would really – I thought he'd do well. I thought he'd have his moments, but I thought there might be stints, you know, maybe a full quarter where he really struggled and the offense was sluggish. But he came out – you know, they went three and out in their first series. And, all this, of course, right after first, everybody's like, oh, my gosh, is it time to replace Hudson Card? But uh, after that, he played really well. You know, if I looked at the stats, he uh, threw for – it was 224, but it's pretty efficient, 224 on 14 completions. Uh, QBR was uh, – like 160 something, I believe, or 180 something, I believe. I don't have that in front of me, but 
So all in all, it was a, a very efficient performance for Hudson Carter in his first start. I thought he actually played better than I expected him to. Yeah, that was going to be leads right into my next question. I mean, I know there was a quarterback battle down there. Uh, you know, personally, I, I saw Casey Thompson in the bowl game, and I was thinking, oh, wow, that guy's, that guy's pretty good. You know, they're, they're going to have a guy, and, and lo and behold, Hudson Card beats him out. What, how did that battle unfold during camp, and how do you envision Texas using Thompson, you know, moving forward? I know he played some in the Louisiana game as well. Is he yeah. just a mop-up guy at this point? Well, uh, to answer the, the second part first, no, they don't consider him a mop-up guy. He came in probably midway through the third quarter of this uh, last game. I'd say the game was pretty much in hand, but it wasn't over by any means. I mean, Louisiana was still in that game, and, and Casey Thompson comes in and leads them right down for a touchdown uh, in his drive. And then after that, it was more just handing the ball off after that. So um, I think ultimately, I mean, uh, Sark says, hey, we're going to need both quarterbacks. We're going to have to play both quarterbacks at some point this year, be it Hudson Card getting injury or, you know, with COVID, you never know what might happen. So they are planning to prepare both guys to be potential starters. Hudson Card is on top of the depth chart. He'll be the guy that takes the first series uh, Saturday night against Arkansas. But they want to get Casey Thompson in the game in meaningful situations. They don't want it to be just kind of your tried and true uh, mop-up duty, what, we, what you're, you're used to seeing. So, um, but it was a really good battle all camp. You know, Casey – like you said, he played in the bowl game. He came in, replaced Sam Ellinger in the second half against Colorado, and he's throwing it all over the field and marches Texas up and down, down the field. was really, really good. But we had heard even before that, hey, Hudson Card, this kid is the real deal behind the scenes. Um, they just didn't want to play him in that bowl game, being a true freshman, so on and so forth. So um, it was a close battle all, all uh, fall camp. Uh, Sarkeesian said, hey, man, this may be the toughest quarterback decision he's ever had to make at any of his coaching stops. Okay. So it was that close. Ultimately they went with Hudson card, you know, it, it worked out well for him in game one, but who's to say, I mean, Casey Thompson looked really good in game one too. So it's nice for Texas knowing they have two pretty good options. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting with Hudson. This, this will be his first true, uh, first true road start first really hostile environment this weekend. So we'll see how he handles that. Um, might they go to Casey Thompson a little earlier than they did last week? It's possible. I think the game, how the game unfolds, obviously will, will play a big part in that. But behind the scenes, if you ask people inside the Texas program, they like what they have in Casey Thompson. They think Hudson Card, as he gains more experience, has true say, superstar potential. But they think he really is that kind of player. I mean, a high NFL draft pick if he continues to develop. He's still a freshman, so a lot of development there. But, you know, both those guys will play. They're, both, they're high on both those players, players at the quarterback position. That makes sense. And, and of course, I've, I've got to ask you about Bijan Robinson. I mean, what, what, what does he bring to the table and what makes him so good uh, for Texas? Um, what he brings to the table, Andrew, pretty much everything. He does everything pretty well. I mean, there's really not a weakness. This is a guy, and I'll start with off the field. He is as high of a character person as you're ever going to meet for a young man his age. And I was fortunate enough to cover him as a recruit. And same thing, even when he was a recruit, I'm mean, just an incredible person off the field great representative for the, for the university off the field, but on the field, uh, good vision. He's fast. I think he's probably one of the better receiving backs I've ever covered. I've been doing this 20 years in, in terms of covering high school prospects. He may be one of the best re receiving running backs I've ever seen. He's that good as, of a receiver. Um, he runs with power. People, I mean, you'll see it when you look at him. His, tree, his legs are like tree trunks, but people kind of th thought of him more of as a finesse back coming out of high school, a guy who can, 
work in space, a guy who's going to be involved in the passing game, but he can do that for you, but he can also run through tackles. I mean, if you try to ankle tackle or lead tackle uh, Bijan, he's not going to go down, man. He's going to run through tackles. So he does a little bit of everything for them. He's, he's the guy that's going to make this offense go. I mean, the quarterbacks I mentioned played well, but it all starts with Bijan Robinson, their running back and Roshan Johnson is their backup running back. He's pretty good as well. So, you know, everybody looks at, at Sark as being a kind of, you know, a, a guy that's going to go up tempo and throw it all over the field, but it does start with that running back position, that ground game in Bijan Robinson leading the way. He was uh, the national player of the week by one, I forget which publication it was, named him the national player of the week after last week's performance. And it was funny, I came out of that game last week and I wrote this in my post game thing. I said, you know, Bijan was really good. He had 103 yards uh, rushing in a touchdown, he had 73 yards receiving in a touchdown. You're almost, you know, talking 180 yards total offense and two touchdowns. And I was like, Kind of felt like a pretty mediocre performance, honestly. I think he's got better days ahead of him because uh, he didn't have the huge splash play that maybe that's what I was waiting to see a little bit more of. But yeah, Bijan's a tremendous player, legitimate All-American candidate. So that, that'll be obviously the focal point uh, that the Arkansas defense will want to stop first. And you know, to maybe switch gears a little bit and look at the, the Texas defense, I know uh, Sark and Texas, they pursued Barry Odom uh, for a little bit this offseason before they landed uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, I believe I got that right, from Washington. Yeah, uh, what are the early reviews uh, of the Longhorns on that side of the ball? Uh, pretty good. They looked pretty good last week. You know, Louisiana was able to move the ball late. Um, you know, I don't know that Louisiana was the best test. We'll see what they're made up uh, made of this week against Arkansas. But Louisiana and Arkansas are pretty similar. They both had mobile quarterbacks, and Texas showed that they could uh, scheme pretty well against the mobile quarterbacks. But you know, playing in the Big 12 and kind of be a defensive coordinator's worst nightmares at times. So we'll see how this unfolds long term. But I think so far, people are pretty happy just on what we've kind of heard through scrimmage reports, uh, what they saw in week one. Kwiatkowski's a guy that likes to, he'll change things up on the fly. He'll blitz from a lot of different angles. He'll do some exotic stuff. He'll do different formations against uh, different personnel groups or different offensive schemes. So you never know really from week to week. Are they going to run a, you know, a base three, four? Are they going to be out of a nickel? Are they going to have, who the heck knows, two defensive linemen and just fly around with a bunch of DBs, depending on who they're, they're playing? So um, he'll change things up quite a bit. Um, there's some pretty good depth in, in, along the, off, or the defensive line, excuse me. Uh, a linebacker, I would say I'd call it top heavy. Uh, DeMarvin Overshawn's really good. Uh, Luke Brockermeyer is a former walk-on who's starting for Texas at the linebacker position. And then their secondary played pretty well in that season opener, they're pretty set on, on the outside at cornerbacks, got a couple of young parts at safety, but all in all, you know, I think it's a defense with some talent and people are pretty happy with what they saw from uh, coach Kwiatkowski's defense in week one, but again, tougher tests lie ahead. We'll see how that goes you know, moving forward. And you kind of touched on a couple of the guys there, but who, who is the one guy maybe on that side of the ball on defense that, that really makes that unit go? I mean, is there a guy that, that Texas just you can't afford to lose him to a targeting penalty or something like that because he brings you know so much to that to the defense. Yeah, it would probably be Demarion Overshone, their linebacker. He's a converted safety, came in as a uh, underclassman All-American safety that they've kind of spun down. They did that last year under the previous staff, and now he's a full-time linebacker. But he's a guy that just flies to the football, really athletic. Obviously, being a former safety. Very physical. You know, sometimes those converted DBs aren't as physical at the point of attack, but he is. He can he holds up pretty well against the run. Um, they've got a really good defensive line in front of him 
what we saw last week was that defensive line took on blockers, freed up the linebackers to make plays. Okay. So it wasn't, you know, as I'm watching it, I'm kind of thinking, Hey, this defensive line needs to be a little more active. You're not seeing pressures in the backfield or sacks from that defensive line. Then I look up and I'm like, man, Overshone and Brockermeyer, the, the two linebackers actually had, I think it was almost 50% of the team's tackles. And I remember in the first half, I was like, wow, they've got literally almost half of the team's tackles. So uh, Overshone is kind of the, the straw that stirs the drink, if you will. That's the guy they'll probably build around. But there is talent. Uh, a guy like Keandre Coburn on the defensive line is talented. Tavondre Sweat. Uh, they've got talent at the cornerbacks position. But if I'm picking one, it'd probably be DeMarvin Overshone. He's the guy you're probably going to see if, if there's some postseason award nominations. He's probably the name you're going to see in those types of, of award situations. Yeah, and, and another thing I was going to get your thoughts on, I mean I- – I mean, to be quite honest, I was born after Arkansas left the Southwest Conference. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been educated on the rivalry. Sam Pittman <laughs> said this week that uh, he's educating the players uh, on the Arkansas-Texas rivalry. What, what's kind of the feeling down there? I mean, both you know among the fans and inside the, the football facility about this game. I mean, are, pe- are people excited about this matchup? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen, everybody was excited for game one because it's game one. We're coming out of, out of COVID, of course, but people are going to be able to go to the stands and as soon as that Louisiana game ended, it was on our Orange Bloods message board, a, a F Arkansas. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got some, some people that still hold a grudge. And I think they've had this game circled on their calendars uh, for a while, Arkansas and Oklahoma. So, you know, it's an old rivalry, as you know, with historical ties. So I would say inside the program, there's a healthy respect. Um, you know, Sark, it really didn't come up much in his press conference on Monday. He, just, he said, hey, it's, it's a rivalry, obviously, he's familiar with. And the pageantry of the history of college football. I'm sure it will be discussed. They know like noise is going to be a factor. They know it's going to be a hostile environment. So that's something they're going to prepare for uh, this week. But yeah, it is a game that the fans are extremely excited for. And uh, Texas fans have a chip on their shoulder. I mean, that's not new. They do pretty much every year, but uh, this is a game they really want Texas to go up there and get the W, especially on Arkansas's home field. They would love nothing more to come out of that one uh, with the victory. So should be a fun game, should be an exciting game. Like I said, first road test for Hudson Card. We'll see how he responds. You have to know Arkansas is going to be fired up, uh, prepared to play well, have a lot of emotions. So I'm excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, and the last thing I got for you is, is I mean, you don't necessarily have to give a score prediction here, but I was wondering how you kind of see this weekend's game going. I think the spread opened around three and a half, and now it's climbed to six and a half in favor of the Horns. Uh, what, what, what do you see happening this weekend? Well, it's, I didn't even – know the spread so that's news to me but um I would probably pick it about what the spread is I think you know when I I watched some of the Arkansas game last week on television of course before the Texas game and when I was watching the first half I'm like whoa Rice has given them everything they everything they want and then I wasn't able to watch the end of it I saw it looks like they started to exert their will late and kind of ran away with it um you know Texas can throw a lot of depth at you defensively I don't think Texas will wear down the way it looked like Rice probably did. So Arkansas, I think, is going to have to play better offensively. Uh, I think Texas will do a good job of uh, scheming to take away the Arkansas running game, including from the quarterback. They're going to probably make him beat them with their arm. Um, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I haven't truly broken down the matchups. That'll be something I do starting tonight and tomorrow. But based on what I saw from Arkansas, what I saw from Texas, of course, on Saturday, I do think Texas is probably the better team on paper. You go to these rivalry games, hey, man, throw paper out the window. You know, some of that stuff never matters in rivalry games. But if I'm picking it right now based on what I saw last week, you know, I don't really have a score prediction, but I think Texas probably wins it. You know, I would have said probably four to six points. I think it'll be a close game, 
maybe a, a big play here or there make a difference in the fourth quarter or a special teams play, but I probably will pick Texas unless I start uncovering the matchup line. Well, Arkansas can really exploit this or something comes up differently. Um, Texas does have a couple injury uh, notes that are a bit concerning. concerning. If you're a Longhorn fan, uh, one of their more veteran offensive linemen, Junior Angelau, um, they haven't ruled him out, but he, he went down last week with a knee injury. He's kind of day-to-day. Uh, they had one of their better receivers had to sit out last week. He's not on the depth chart, so I don't think he'll be back. Uh, Troy O'Mary, not sure on that. And then Jared Wiley is one of their, I'd call him a co-starter at tight end. He's day-to-day. I don't think you'll see him this week. He's day-to-day as well, though. So a couple of little things there on, on injuries that maybe have you concerned from a Texas perspective. But uh, ultimately, I think I'd, I'll probably wind up picking Texas in a fairly close game. Well, I think that's all I got for you, Jason. Again, I really appreciate you coming on and give us some insight uh, on what should be a really fun game and atmosphere inside Razorback Stadium. Uh, to everyone listening and watching, just a reminder, kickoff is at 6 o'clock Central. Uh, you can watch the game on ESPN. Uh, until then, stay locked on Hogbeat uh, for the latest news and updates on all things Arkansas. All right, back on the Hogbeat Hour, Mason Choate, Andrew Hutchinson. And- Andrew Hutchinson and Alex Trader along with you. Uh, this is this is the big one, guys. The big segment. We got to talk Texas. Probably the biggest preview segment of the entire season, unless Arkansas is like undefeated going into A and M or Alabama or something like that. Um, this is this is a big game. Uh, none of us really know the significance of the rivalry like some people do because we're not old enough to know it, even Hutch. And he's like 40 years old. So um, it's a significant rivalry. I mean, you can see it's Texas hate week. It's a big deal. And it's a sellout crowd. We talked about it earlier. Standing room only, probably going to be 80,000 plus, you have to think, maybe. Um, Hutch, how big of a deal is it? And, I mean, you talked to Jason Sukumel. It's a big deal to Texas as well. Like these Texans, these Texas fans are not like Steve Sarkeesian said. They're just going to overlook it. We're a, we're a team with no face. Texas fans hate Arkansas just as much as Arkansas hate Texas is what it seems like. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's still a big rivalry. I mean, I mean, I was born a couple of years after Arkansas joined the SEC, so I didn't experience it firsthand. However, I have parents, I have grandparents who – that that's what they know and and they taught it to me early on in life that you know Arkansas fans hate Texas that's just that's just how it is and so it's it's always been a a great series I mean Texas has dominated it uh, just through the years as far as you know I think they lead the series I don't know what it is but it's a pretty hefty lead Uh, but Arkansas has had some really good moments. I mean, the, the 64 season when Arkansas beat them, you know, really kind of keyed the national championship run. I think they beat them three years in a row during the 60s when Frank Burles really had things rolling. Uh, everyone remembers the, I believe it was a 1981 game where Arkansas knocked off uh, number one Texas. It was like 42 to 11 or something like that. Just absolutely boat raced them. And there have been some other, you know, really good moments in more recent years, games that I remember. I mean, the 2014 Texas Bowl where they just dominated Texas. Uh, the 2003 game down in Austin, Matt Jones ran all over them. Then the following year, they come up to Fayetteville and the late fumble by Matt Jones, you know, broke my 10-year-old heart. Uh, and it was just, uh, it, there's been some great games. And 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one to kind of renew the rivalry and get to experience it, you know, as an adult uh, in Fayetteville with a great environment. You know, I was at the Texas Bowl as a member of the media, uh, but that's a, that's a bowl game. And even though Sam Pittman said that it was an incredible electric atmosphere, it's going to be nothing compared to what we're going to see this Saturday. It's going to be incredible, you know, as you mentioned, sellout, standing room only crowd. I'm, I'm just, I'm just so excited. This, this is what college football is all about. And, and I'm just, I'm pumped. I'm ready for Saturday to get here. As we all are, but we got to talk about Texas first week one against Louisiana, a ranked Louisiana team. Um, Texas took care of business. It, I mean, it, it was a very smooth game for the most part for the Longhorns. They did what they were supposed to do. Uh, defense, not dominant, but that offense is good, man. Uh, we know of Bijan Robinson. I mean, we could we could probably not even talk about him in this segment because everybody's heard about him all week, but we're going to anyways. Um, it was the first game with Steve Sarkeesian as their head coach, so they took care of business. I wouldn't say Texas is back um, because they're ranked number fifteen or whatever, but this is this is a good Texas team. They got talent up and down the roster, and let's just start with that offense with Hudson Card. It's going to be. His first real road test as a starting quarterback for Texas. Um, and this it's it's gonna be a big test, and not just for Hudson Carr, but for KJ Jefferson too. This is gonna be the biggest crowd that either one of these quarterbacks has played in front of. Hutch, how do you see that that going? And as far as the Texas offense, let us know what you think, man. Yeah, I mean Hudson Card, it's it's all I've seen a lot of Texas fans. I've been reading what they're saying, and, and they all kind of believe you know, it's gonna come down to how Hudson Card does. I mean, it, how can he handle the pressure of a rowdy uh environment? And it's gonna be it's gonna be intense. It's not something that is gonna be easy for him. It's not like he's you know getting to make his road debut at Kansas or something. Uh, this is gonna be a wild environment. Uh, and I'm I'm anxious to see how he does. You know, KJ at least has the advantage. You know, he's got a, a home start under his belt now. Uh, you got got those nerves out. He actually talked about that after the Rice game, that he was a little bit nervous, you know, that first half. Uh, and then he kind of settled in in the second half. So you think, okay, he's got that out of the way. He'll be able to handle that. He started on the road a couple of times. I and mean, he started at Missouri last year, uh, played really well. And the year before that, as a true freshman, he started at number one LSU. Uh, did not go particularly well for him or the Razorbacks, but – he kind of has that experience. So it's not going to be new to him. Uh, you can't say the same thing about Hudson card. I think that's going to be a factor. How big of a factor? I'm not hundred percent sure. You know, we don't know what Hudson cards mental makeup is. Is he going to be a guy that can be, you know, a Colt McCoy, Vince young type guy for Texas, or is he going to be a guy that, you know, maybe kind of struggles when the, the brights, the, the lights are the brightest. So, I'm really anxious to see how both of the quarterbacks play because I think they're both really talented. Both of them were four-star recruits come out of uh, high school, and uh, they they have a lot of potential. So I'm I'm really excited to see how both of those guys perform. Yeah, so Card is, according to the Texas people, I mean, Card is the next big thing. They think that he can be that Colt McCoy, Vince Young type guy, um, and he's really young and really talented. So you're right. This is going to be the first true test to see if he will be that way. So, uh, but we got to talk about Bijan Robinson. Alex, I'll bring you in on this. I mean, you, I think you told me that he he was almost going to go to Ohio State at one point, and you're a huge Ohio State guy. So, what do you know about Bijan Robinson? And I mean, he's a legit Heisman contender, right? 
I believe so. I, I think coming out of high school, just watching the couple clips I would see on Twitter, this kid's legit, and you could see it as early as then. Last year, Tom Herman got fired, and he got fired for a reason. He used Bijan Robinson as kind of a committee back and had him as the third guy in that committee. But whenever he touched the ball, you were at risk of giving up a touchdown. Um, you know, with Mo Ibrahim's unfortunate injury uh, last Thursday, Robinson's my, my – for my money, he's the best running back in the country right now. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough for a running back to win Heisman, but last year we saw Devontae Smith. He kind of broke that glass ceiling, and now it's kind of chaos in that Heisman race for college football. Putting him back, uh, back in that backfield as the number one guy – is going to make such a difference because with more touches, you have more chances to break one loose. They, they will uh, motion him out into the, into the field and have him u- utilized as kind of a receiver. You saw a, a easy touchdown on a screen pass last week. It's going to be a key focus for Sam Pittman and, and Barry Oden. And I'm sure that they know this. I'm sure that you have, they know they have to key in on him. Um, but, but like Hutch said, if you make Hudson Carr beat you, he's either going to beat you or he's not. Uh, I don't think you can let Bijan Robinson beat you and walk away feeling confident in your game plan. Yeah, so we know that Sam Pittman knows of Bijan Robinson. We do also know that at one point in time, Sam Pittman didn't know if Bijan Robinson was the guy returning kicks or not. So hopefully he knows who's returning kicks now. Um but uh, let's talk about that Texas defense. It's a very veteran defense. They've got, I don't know, it's like 32 combined starts among their top two corners. The safeties are really good. One of them is Brennan Schooler, a guy who was a wide receiver for four years at Oregon, was wide receiver at Texas last year. And then the defensive line, I mean, they've got some big, like semi-truck-sized dudes on the defensive line. So, uh, Hutch, what do you think of that Texas defense? And then I didn't even mention the linebackers, but I mean, I guess the linebackers are where the Texas fans are most confident in. Yeah, I think they really like their linebackers. I think that uh, DeMarvian Overshone uh, is kind of uh, the heart and soul of that defense. He's the guy that we heard uh, Jason from Orange Bloods tell us earlier in the show that you know, He's the guy, if, if he goes down, they probably feel the least good about. Just like if Jalen Catalan goes down for Arkansas, you're thinking, oh, crap, here we go. Uh, same thing with Grant Morgan, really, and, and that's that's their guy. Uh, you know, and, and you mentioned the secondary. The secondary is very veteran, a lot of seniors. I mean, B.J. Foster, I believe is his name, is a former five-star guy, really good player, a lot of lot of snaps under these guys' belts. So it's it's going to be a challenge. You know, they're, they're, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be phased by facing a guy like KJ Jefferson. They're going to be able to, to play well. Uh, and, and KJ is going to have to be, be sharp because if he makes a mistake, they're probably going to make him pay. But I, I think the strength of that defense is probably their linebackers. I mean, they've got uh, Brockermeyer, Luke Brockermeyer. He's a former walk-on who's now starting at middle linebacker. If that sounds familiar, uh, it's kind of like their version of Grant Morgan. He's the, he's a son of a, a, a legendary uh, Texas player His his two brothers, uh, were like highly touted recruits. I think they ended up going to Alabama. Uh, it's kind of weird, but he he went to Texas, walked on, and and not only earned a scholarship, but here he is starting as a middle linebacker for the Longhorns. Uh, so pretty cool story there. But yeah, they they've got they've got a lot of talent on that defense. I mean, they got talent everywhere, to be honest. And uh, there's a reason 
before that, I mean, they, they've been ranked in the top 10 recruiting rankings for, you know, however, who knows how long. That's another reason, as Alex said earlier, that Tom Herman got fired. He got fired for a reason. He's got enough talent uh, to be better than what they were. Now, I want to give a quick preview of my matchup of the week that will be out on hogbeat.com on Friday. I'm keying in on the Arkansas receivers versus this veteran Texas secondary. It's not a secondary that you look at you look at them and you're like, man, they've got some crazy good playmakers. What they have is guys who are consistent and guys who are going to beat you up. Like they have physical guys. Um, Josh Thompson has been described as just a physical guy, and I think that if Traylon Burke starts, you know, exploiting the defense they're just going to throw Thompson on him and we'll see how that goes but I want to ask you guys what do you think of the matchup because we know Traylon Burks is going to get his but are is there a specific Arkansas receiver maybe a Davion Warren maybe a Tyson Morris maybe a Keetron Jackson even that you can see really helping KJ Jefferson out against that elite maybe not elite but experienced Texas, Texas secondary yeah, I mean, the, the first guy that comes to mind is just Tyson Morris. I mean, I was really high on him going into the Rice game, and I, I thought he was going to have a big game, and he kind of did, a big game comparatively speaking to everyone else, uh, 42 yards just like Traylon Burks, and had the really big, nice one-handed catch with a guy draped all over him and had a touchdown. Uh, so I like him, but, you know, you mentioned just the physicality of that defense. It makes me wonder if this could be a, a coming out party for Keetron Jackson. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy, four-star recruit, true freshman, uh, but we saw his physicality against Rice. It led to a, a questionable, we'll call it, a holding penalty that wiped out K.J. Jefferson's long touchdown run. Uh, but, I mean, he was 30 yards down the field blocking a receiver or a, blocking a defensive back. So he's got the physicality. He's got the size. Maybe this is a, a coming out part for Keetron Jackson. Yeah, and I, I, I like Keetron a lot. Just from what I've seen from him in practice and and what I've heard about him, he 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 seems to be that next guy after Traylon Burks to come in and be a true star. Um, I think with the physicality, you know, you might try to throw in some quick crossing routes with, with the quicker guys like, like Davion Warren. Um, but I really think there's an opportunity here to get the tight ends involved and kind of spread out that, that ball to, to four or five different guys and make Texas think about what they're doing and not let them just double up on Traylon Burks all day. Um, you kind of have to open him up and give him a chance to it kind of like the play action pass. You don't want to sit there and pass, pass, pass. You want to have a couple runs to set up a, something that they're not expecting. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to is find someone who, who can throw them off the scent of Traylon Burks. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up with our score predictions. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't even thought of mine yet uh, because I've been on the line all week long of who I think is going to win. So we'll go with the we'll go with the MVP dad first, Andrew Hutchinson. What is your score prediction? Yeah, before the season, this is a game I picked Arkansas to lose. I think I had it 24-21 Texas. I still think it's probably going to be a game Texas wins. I just don't think Arkansas quite has the, the talent and the depth that Texas does. Uh, and, and I think Bijan Robinson is a difference maker. I think he's going to be uh, the guy that really helps Texas win this game. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a heartbreaking finish. I mean, that 2004 game keeps coming to mind. I feel like something along those lines is going to happen and we're going to see 
Texas pull away. I don't know if 24-21, maybe it's going to be a 27-24, something like that. Uh, I just feel like it's going to end in heartbreaking fashion for Arkansas, unfortunately, uh, because I know it's a, a game everyone's really hoping Arkansas finds a way to pull out. Mr. Recruiting Expert, Alex Trader, what is your prediction? You know, I've been thinking about this moment all week, trying to figure out what I what I wanted to say here. Um, coming into this, through the entire offseason, I thought that this was a game Arkansas was going to come in and kind of stun the world. Um, last week has me a little bit uneasy about that, I'm going to be honest. I, I think the defense is, is good enough to where Texas is not going to get their 38 points, and I think the offense – has enough in it to, to score uh, at, a, at a quicker clip than what they did last week. I'm not saying they're going to get 38 against Texas, but I think, I think they'll probably go over the 18 that Louisiana had. Um, I'm kind of set in on Texas at 23. Now, Arkansas, I don't know if I want to go 20. I don't know if I want to go 24, 17. I think they're, they will have the ball with a chance to make, make something incredible happen um, it, at home at the end of this game. I'll say Arkansas 21, 23. I'm just, or I'll, sorry, I'll say Texas 21, 23. Um, but I would not be surprised if Arkansas was able to pull this one out in a close game. Uh, Alex, I thought you were going to pick Arkansas and I wasn't going to be able to be the one that, that's different and picks Arkansas, but that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be the guy that's different and picks Arkansas. Um, I'm going to take the Hogs 20 to 17. Uh, I think Texas misses a field goal as time expires to tie it up and send it to overtime. So that's, that's my prediction. I'm going to take the Hogs just to be different. If you guys, if one of y'all picked Arkansas, I probably would have taken Texas, but that's going to do it for us on the Hog Beat Hour. I've been Mason Cho. He's been Andrew Hutchinson, and he's been Alex Trader. Thank you guys for listening to the Hog Beat Hour.